I'm Paul Comfort, and welcome to a special edition of Transit Unplugged. On today's episode, we continue our seven-part series on transit in Australia, the land down under. And today I'm excited to have as my guest, Mr. Raymond O'Flaherty, who is Chief Executive Officer of Metro Trains in Melbourne, Australia. They're part of the overall public transport Victoria, and they've got a massive rail system above and below ground, in and out of the city, transporting millions of people every year. It's a massive, well-run professional system. I got to meet with him in his office and meet with his staff, spend some time with them and get to know these top-notch professionals who are running a major rail system that is the envy of Australia and really, one of the top examples of a well-run system anywhere in the world. Excited for you to hear today from Raymond O'Flaherty, CEO of Metro Trains in Melbourne, Australia. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and welcome to the worldwide phenomenon now of listening and interviewing top CEOs around the world. Today, we're in the land down under, Australia, in Melbourne, Australia, to be exact, and I'm speaking with Raymond O'Flaherty, who is the CEO of Metro Trains Melbourne. Raymond, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here, Paul, and uh, welcome to Melbourne. Uh, Thank you. Is this your first time to Melbourne? This is my first time to Melbourne and Australia, and it's been amazing so far. Oh, well, look, we're delighted to have you. You're in the, you know, the most livable city in the world. I believe so, it. Look forward to speaking to you. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Tell us a little bit about the city itself and how um, transportation, public transportation is run in Australia in general. How does it work? And then we'll talk about your background after that. Well, Melbourne is it's a great city to live in. Um, I moved here 20 years ago. I wasn't born here. I was born in Ireland, in the west of Ireland. So um, 20 years ago, came to Australia, uh, lived in Melbourne, and um, it's a great city. It's uh, well serviced by public transport. It's got uh, three modes, train, light rail or trams, and bus. Um, here in Melbourne, the um, Two parts of that system have been um, contracted out by government to the private sector to run, so it's, it's privatised um, under a franchising arrangement. So that's both the train and the tram system. Buses still largely run by the state. Some of that is also privatised. And of course, we've got a regional train operator as well here called V-Line. Melbourne is a growing city, um, big population growth forecast, you know, in over the next number of years, in fact, very soon to you know, be the largest city in Australia. So a uh, bit of competition here between Melbourne and Sydney. So uh, soon Melbourne is, uh, you know, will be the largest city. More and more people are using public transport. And of course, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're, we're catering for that growth. That's our biggest challenge now is making sure that we're improving our network. Government is investing a lot in our network at the moment, which is really exciting. So uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing that investment come in. That's much needed because um, you know, the forecasts for ridership show big demand in our services in future years. So um, it's a great city, so yes. it's uh, very livable, and, um, but it needs to make sure that it provides that public service, public transport service to, to match that requirement. That's great. So tell us about your background. You, you just started, you moved here 20 years ago, but how did you get involved in public transport and how did you end up as CEO of this big organization? Yeah, I'm sure like many other CEOs tell you, Paul, never sort of planned to, you know, be a CEO of a major transport organization. How it all started for me was with a 
was with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, I was working with them for many years as a consultant advisor in their, in their advisory business. And when I was in Australia about 15 years ago, I had the opportunity to go and work with a French transport group, Transdev. They were in Australia, they were running buses, ferries, and in Melbourne, they were running the light rail tram system. And the government at that time was kind of bringing back the two separate tram networks into one. At that stage, actually, the, the systems were split into um, two tram networks and two metropolitan train networks. Government then decided it was better to bring them back as one. So tram was being brought back as one. I went in to support Transdev with that. And I got the bug for public transport. You know, when I was working there with the CEO, he said, Raymond, you'll never, you know, you'll never leave this industry now. I found that, you know, it was great industry to be in, things happening every day, um, you know, giving back to the people, making sure they were providing that good, reliable service every day. So I never went back to PricewaterhouseCoopers. I stayed on working with, with Transdev and Yarra Trams here in Melbourne um, and stayed there for, you know, five to six years before coming across here to this organization. What was your role there? My role there was largely commercial and finance and contract management. Okay. I also had the role of deputy CEO, so you know, became more and more familiar with operations and asset maintenance and the important things about running a public transport organization around safety. Um, so when I came over to Metro, uh, Metro Trains in 2009, that was when MTR from Hong Kong, along with John Holland and UGL, a new consortium took over the running of the the rail system here in Melbourne. Uh, it was kind of a handover from from the previous operator to a new consortium. I was approached by that consortium to join Metro Trains in 2009. So came in again in that kind of commercial contract management role. But about four years ago, we, we put a proposal together to extend our contract here um, out to 2024, possibly up to 2027. And I led that project. So I put the kind of the vision, the plan, the model together for the future. Uh, when I finished that, the CEO role was vacant. And I guess, uh, you know, my shareholders felt I was the most, the most passionate about delivering the new vision, which I am. Yes. So um, worked with the team to put together the plan for the next few years. I know what's needed. And I'm very proud to lead the team to go on and deliver what our promise is to, to Melbourne. That's great. Tell us about the service itself that you operate, kind of like the nuts and bolts of it, number of employees, number of passengers, kind of how, what you actually run here. It's a really fast-growing organization. When I started, we had about 4,000 employees. Today, we have 5,700. And how many years? Over how many years was that's that? That's since 2009. So, so you've really been growing fast. We've been growing fast, and that's a reflection of the growth in the network here, the expansion of the network and more ridership. So 5,700 employees hiring you know about 60 70 new employees every month so um, we're in a really growth phase at the moment which is fantastic over 200 stations on the network every day we can, we have about 850,000 passenger trips soon forecast you know over the next couple of years to get to a million trips a day by about 20 2030 you know we're looking at about two and a half million passenger trips every day on this network it's phenomenal the growth that's happening so government realized that as the private operator of the system here our responsibility is to operate and maintain and renew all of the assets and run all of the services every day we don't obviously provide all of the new investments to expand the network or to put in the new infrastructure 
that's that's uh, funded by government, but it's very much us working with them in partnership, working out where the priorities are for the network, okay. uh, where money needs to be spent to cater for the future. So right now we've got a huge number of, of exciting projects happening around the network. Uh, we're seeing 100 new trains that are being commissioned now. They'll be brought into service over the next number of years. And what type of trains are there that you're bringing in? They're high-capacity metro trains. Um, they're not driverless. They still require okay. our, our, um, our colleagues to drive those trains. But they are, you know, they're seven-car trains. They'll carry about 1,400 passengers or currently carry about eight or 900. So uh, they're much, much bigger. Mm. We're going to have 100 of those. We're also removing a lot of level crossings. It's another, another big project funded by government around the network. Melbourne is a very open network. Um, it's, not, it's, not, um, you know, it's not fenced off or it's not, um, it's, not an, it's not dedicated track. There's a lot of roads running across the network. Yes, yeah. So thankfully, we're removing a lot of those kind of very busy level crossings. And that's great for, for us in terms of train running and great for safety as well. And of course, we're building the new tunnel that's currently under construction. That's the new uh, metro tunnel, which will open in 2024. That's now under construction, you know, five new stations. And we're also now planning for a, a train service to Melbourne Airport. So again, that hasn't started construction yet. That's in planning with, with government. So, and in fact, that's been yes. announced today. There's an announcement today around that in Melbourne. Yeah. With your the, prime minister is here today, yeah. right? And with your premier, and they're going to announce it. They're going to announce the next stage of that. They've been they've been talking about it now for some time. But both federal and state governments are right behind that project, and Melbourne is is desperately in need of that reliable service to the airport. It's great that your elected officials now see the importance of investment into the expansion, but also the safety which is, uh, I know we're going to talk about that in a minute because that's been a passion of yours. So that's good. So the service itself, 800,000 passengers a day. That is massive. Any statistics you can give us on key performance indicators that you might be proud of, on-time performance, safety, customer service, anything like that that you want to talk about? Yeah, well, in terms of, in terms of reliability of our services, it has, it has improved a lot since, we, since you know, the, the team that I work with since 2009. When I stepped in here, we were running, you know, maybe 85% high 80s trains on time to four minutes, 59 seconds. That's improved now to, you know, 92, uh, 92% of trains on time. Oh, that's great. We deliver every day about 99% of the timetable. People now rely on the system to get them to where they need to go. Under our new contract, it's, we've kind of moved on now from just reliability of services into passenger experience. So under our new contract with government, it's very much around making sure, you know, trains are clean, our stations are clean, our passenger information is really good. Mm-hmm. Particularly if there's unplanned disruptions, if those things, you know, don't go to plan, right. that we're communicating really effectively with our, with our passengers. They know, they know what's happened, they know the alterations to their services to get that information in real time. We've got more improvements to make in that space, so that's where we're really focused on, is around the passenger experience, giving them that really end-to-end, good journey experience. Um, so that's, that's where we're, um, we're determined to do. Um, obviously, safety, as you mentioned, is a key priority yes. of mine. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question along those lines, though, so that our listeners <clears throat> can understand if they're not from Melbourne, can you describe how your service differs from the trams and, uh, and from the, uh, the other heavy rail? Yours is kind of like a subway, but it's not, most of it's not underground. Is that right? Kind of describe what type of service you're operating specifically. 
Yeah, we have about 15 lines and it's like a bit of a bit of a spider's web. Okay. You know, those metropolitan lines come in from the outer suburbs around Melbourne and effectively all kind of all kind of merge in the in the center of the city. And then we have a, you know, a loop around the city to get those trains back out again into the suburbs. Um, but it's not commuter trains per se, right? That's what the V line mm-hmm. is. Yeah, V line then V line then run trains right out into the state, right into the into the regional Victoria. We're okay. much we're very much the metro, we're the urban metropolitan okay. train system, and and not with catenary wires and all that. That's the trams. That's, That's the, the trams. trams. Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously our system is totally electrified. The regional train operator they run diesel trains. Yes. It's, it's non electrified. They share a couple of our lines to get out into the regions. Okay. But in most cases they got their own dedicated tracks. Gotcha. Um, of course, the light rail then runs around the city more in more in the inner areas. Yes, the central um, business district where yep. it's free. I rode a lot of it this week when I was here. Yeah, yeah. they've got that free zone. Yeah, and it's very popular. I mean, actually, their their oh, daily packed. their yeah. daily trips is almost equivalent to ours. Really, you know, a bit bit less. Yeah, but you know, a big demand again. It's a very important part of Melbourne, and I'm sure you're going to meet Nicola and speak to him as yes. well. Yeah, um, and of course, I was I used to work there, so I know that right. system quite well. So, so you do know, you all have places where you meet, where the services, people transfer from one to the indeed other? Indeed we do. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of modal connection is really important That's between good. all modes, between between the regional train operator and ours. You know, there are, there are a number of connection points. And again, once people get into the city, if they come in on our services, they very often just jump on the tram to do that kind of final journey to their place of work. Okay. And of course, at our stations, more and more bus interchanges. So buses coming in, feeding mm-hmm. our train services. Sitting across the top of all of the of all of the operators is Public Transport Victoria. Yes, tell us about that. That's um, that's obviously a an authority set up by by government. Um, and I'm sure you'll meet maybe Jerome Weimar, their yes. CEO. Jerome's role effectively is to oversee all of us as the transport operators. Um, he's kind of like almost my boss. You know, okay. He oversees our performance of our contract, holds us to account, make sure we're delivering what we say, what we said we would do. But he's also looking at it from an overarching point of view, looking at that connectivity between all the different modes, make sure we're working together. Mm-hmm. And again, how people can make that kind of seamless journey and transfer between different transport modes. That's great. Now you've been uh, CEO for a little less than a year yes. in this particular role here. And I know what it's like to come in as a CEO of a big operation. And a lot of times um, the new CEO comes in with a new vision, you know, the direction that you want to take it. And I know you had one. Tell us about that vision and how you've implemented it and how successful it's been so far. I guess you're right. You know, I was an I was an internal appointment, but when I was stepping into the role, I kind of was determined to determined for all our employees to see a, a change of mindset and see a difference. So, you know, a couple of things around that. One for me is around I'm very passionate about building diverse and inclusive organizations and very passionate around teamwork. So one thing you hear a lot about in this organization that I launched on one July was, you know, one team, one metro. Obviously, you know, our name is Metro Trains Melbourne. I'm a big, big believer in teamwork. And what I found in the since I've been working in this organization is, you know, very kind of divisional silo type organization. Um, sometimes not the best teamwork between between people in the same in the in the same organization. So since one July, big change in focus around that. It's now about working together collaboratively, colleagues all across the organization supporting each other, breaking down those silos. Working together as one team is really important. So so affecting the culture of the organization. 
Exactly. So I'm determined to kind of make that big shift in culture. You know what it's like, rail industries around the world, they sort of have this long embedded culture and I'm determined to to move our culture to make it aligned to a modern progressive organization. One that's attractive to, you know, to people to join. We're, we're, you know, trying to bring the best talent in here. I want people to join an organization that is modern, progressive, has a good culture, you know, looks after its employees, uh, cares, supports, develops people mm-hmm. um, in the right way and, and has got good diversity. So, you know, we do have generally good diversity across this business, but pretty poor on gender diversity. Mm. So, um, and that's a thing typical again of kind of rail organizations, not very, not doing very well on gender diversity. We've had good success here in some areas, like among our drivers. A number of years ago, 2% of our drivers were female. Today it's 20%. Wow. But we're aiming across all of our organization for 40% of our workforce to be female. Today we're at about 24 and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that our organization should reflect our community and should reflect our passenger base, which is, you know, equal gender diversity. So I'm determined to make this an organization where more women join, more women are in leadership roles. So that's the journey we're on, and we're, we're very much a supportive, inclusive organization. So I'm pretty, pretty strong on values. We're actually just relaunching our values in the next few weeks. Oh, good. You know, it's values are around, you know, zero harm. I'll come back to zero harm in a moment, but around, you know, being a caring organization, um, about teamwork and explaining to our colleagues, you know, the behaviors we want to see and more importantly, the behaviors that we don't want to see. Uh, many organizations tell, tell their employees, we'd like you to do, we'd like you to exhibit these good behaviors. We're going a step further and we're saying to our employees, these are the behaviors we don't want to see. And the challenge will be there on everybody stepping up and we're all, we all have to make that kind of step over the line. And, um, and follow the new ground rules for how we want this organization, the heartbeat of this organization every day. So that's the, that's the culture journey we're on. Tell us about that. So uh, what kind of things are you going to say that you, the behaviors you don't want? Well, you know, no blaming, you know, no pointing fingers. Um, you know, this is about, you know, if something, if something happens, we learn from it. You know, we learn the lessons and we don't repeat them. So we become more of a learning organization rather than one that typically right. just points fingers and blames. Um, honesty, so I'm sure that's a big part of it too. Absolutely, yeah. honesty. And, and I find that, you know, generally I'm finding all our colleagues are pretty honest. But honesty for me goes beyond that. It's about, it's about speaking up as well. And it's about, you know, if you've got some good ideas, speak up because you will be heard. Right. It's not about, you know, being pushed back into the background. I want, again, an organization where people... People feel they can speak up. Their ideas will be listened wow, to. That's wonderful, and Ray. they will be implemented. You don't get that. I mean, I bet it, just like you, I've been around this business a long time, and I don't see that in a lot of big agencies. I don't see CEOs encouraging their mid-level managers to bring up ideas. Uh, but they're the ones that are on the front lines, right? They are. Yeah, they're and- the ones on the front line, particularly around safety. Right. So I'll talk about safety because the, the thing that matters most to me is making sure every colleague in our organization is safe and goes home from work back to their families and don't get injured when they're working for us. Same for passengers. So we're, we're, we're on a new journey now. We're calling it zero harm. Many other organizations. Zero harm. Zero harm. Okay. And look, you know, when you look around the world, looking at companies in the US and looking at companies in oil and gas, mining, aviation, 
those organizations have been on a journey for many years of zero harm and they've been very successful. Uh, we're, we're many years behind. And again, I think it's, you know, our, our injury rates are too high for my liking. We're injuring too many of our colleagues and we're having too many incidents that if something had happened, the consequences could have been terrible. You know, colleagues could have been killed. So I'm very, very determined, as are all the leaders in the organization and everybody, because safety is everybody's responsibility. Right. It's everybody working together to make sure that we're, you know, planning the work, sticking to the plan, um, looking out for each other, doing it in the safest possible way. And people around the front line of our organization know where the gaps are. And that's why it's really important to get out there and listen. Right. Because our people out there know where, know where the, the issues are. They know what's needed to be safer. So we're out there having those conversations. Um, I've actually brought in DuPont. They've been working with us here for a number of months. And they've been going out partnering with us. We're out holding roadshows, workshops. What can we do to make this a really safe organization where we, because basically we have zero tolerance now yes. for injuring anyone. Let me, let me ask you a follow-up question on that. I've seen in big organizations that safety often becomes siloed in the safety department. The operations folks and maintenance folks don't, they don't, when they see the safety guys coming around or safety gals, they don't want anything to do with them because they're seen as cops who are gonna come and report you. How are you working to integrate the safety culture throughout your organization and break down those silos. So we we have a model here now where we have a very light, a very light corporate safety team, just a very small team. And their responsibility is just to make sure that, you know, the processes are set up, the systems are there, the rules are there, but safety is pushed down into the organization. Okay. Every leader here, every manager, every supervisor, every team crew leader, they're responsible for the safety of their teams. And everybody in the front line is responsible for looking out for their colleagues. Safety here is decentralized and it's pushed oh, good. It's pushed right down into the front part of the business. And of course, but now under our new zero harm journey, we're making that even more meaningful. Okay. We're out there again now having the conversations, putting the safety improvements in place, listening again. So we've got a, we've got a roadmap now. That's good. We have a safety roadmap because we're not going to get there tomorrow because people were, people were saying, Raymond, we'll never be at zero harm. Right. It's not, it's not possible. Right. And it's not, we're not gonna be there. We're not gonna be there tomorrow. We won't be there next week or in six months, but it's a mindset change. Sure. You've gotta, you've gotta have the mindset that every injury is avoidable. Because when we investigate every incident, you, know, you look at the causal factors behind why did that person get injured? Everything can be avoided. So it's taken that mindset to believe that's how we're gonna drive down our injury rates and make this a really safe place to work. Yeah. I'm always a strong believer in visualizing what you where you want to go. So you've got to visualize no harm, right? Yeah. And that is the end point that it everybody's is. everybody can look at that like a north star. Yeah. And that's guiding their actions, right? That's right. That's great. So uh, along the lines of listening, you've done something that not many CEOs have done that I've seen, and that is you've started your own podcast where you listen to your employees. It is called. Uh, tell us what it's called. Raise it with Raymond. Raise it with so people can raise issues with you, right? Yes. yes. Tell us a little bit about that. That's pretty cool. Again, when I took on my new role in one July, I was looking at you know how, and with with my communications team, what better ways to to communicate with with all our people around the organisation? Because a lot of our frontline colleagues they they don't read emails. Right. Uh, they come in, they drive their trains, they work at stations, they're out they're out on the track, they're doing maintenance renewal work. They don't have the time to read emails, and I want to I want to reach out to them. 
Um, and I've been doing that in a number of ways. One is just getting out more, along with all of our teams, getting out and visiting all of our sites. And I do that a couple of times a week around all of our network, being visible to our employees. But another way is, yeah, podcast. So um, came up with this idea of Raise It With Raymond. So every couple of weeks, different colleague from around the organization comes in here into this room, just sits, okay. where, sits where you are, yeah, okay. Paul. And, um, and, and we, we talk about a topic. It might be safety. It might be what we're doing on disruption, on some big projects. The one we had just last week was around what we're doing in the area of, you know, being a, being a better corporate, social, responsible organization. You know, what are those partnerships we're having in the community? So the podcast doesn't go on for very long. It only, we talk for about maybe 10 minutes. Okay. But at the end, I, I like music. And um, we always have a safety moment on the podcast. We have a safety moment, then we talk about a few things. I'm a big fan of um, of music, love love American music, alternative rock and country music. So I always put a put a band that I'm listening to at the end, just a favorite song, a concert I've just been to. And it's got people around Metro talking about, you know, music and yeah. favorite bands. So it's just, so I like, I think podcast is a good way to reach out. Yeah, that's a good hook to get them in, right, with the music, yeah. So let's spend the last few minutes talking about what's coming for MTM. What's next for you all? You you mentioned it at the top of the podcast, but tell us a little bit more about your plans, your company, and the government's plan for what's coming in the next you know one to three years for Melbourne when it comes to the rail service. The way I would summarize it is huge investment, big pipeline of new projects. So the railway is going to be heavily disrupted because obviously when you're building, when you're putting all this, this new infrastructure in place, some of it on, on our existing corridors, it's a, a big upgrade of our existing corridors. Those corridors have to be shut down for, for periods of time. So on the service delivery side, we have to make sure that we're you know, minimizing that disruptive impact on our passengers. Are you gonna do bus bridges or we how are you gonna handle that? We're doing okay. a lot of, a lot of you know, while our, while our services, train services aren't running, we're running bus replacement. Good example, during Easter coming up at the end of, the end of April, Yes. Um, we've got a number of our lines closed while we're doing major, major work. And on some days, you know, we're running about 350 buses just every day. So, you know, we'll be carrying a lot of our passengers on those buses. Are you contracting it out to somebody else to run for you? We contract that out, but very much again, you know, we're, we're very much involved in making sure that that's, that's well managed. Oh, sure, We've got, right. we've got big teams right. looking out of that. We're even putting GPS on the buses so we can oh, track good. exactly where yeah. they are. So really good communication. So on the big project pipeline, it's making sure that we, we, uh, we still run a good service for our passengers and where lines are closed, that we give them that still that, that reliable service into the city. And of course, then we just got to get on and deliver these new works because the network needs them. So the big projects underway are, you know, getting the new trains into service, uh, getting that metro tunnel um, built. Our role there is, you know, a lot of that work is, is delivered by government with major contractors. We're, we're very much involved as the operator, you know, reviewing the design, the standard, okay. the testing, the commissioning. Yes. Uh, but very much the big construction, the tunnel boring, that's all done by, by other very experienced contractors. It's not done by us. It's done and it's, it's contracted by government. Uh, but we're a partner in there. So our role is to be, you know, a really good partner, you know, partner well, make sure we're, we're doing our part. We work with, with the government and with the major contractors to deliver this big program of work on time. So in addition to the tunnel, we're bringing in high capacity signaling, CBTC, which for us, you know, moving from conventional signaling to high capacity signaling allows us to run more trains per hour. And again, just increases the capacity of the network because, um, you know, 
I'll go back to those numbers I mentioned to you. It won't be long before we've got two and a half million passenger trips a day. And, you know, we need a network that's running really well using, you know, the best technology, the best signaling capability. So it's an exciting time for us. Um, you know, we're, we're an operator. We're supporting project delivery. Uh, we're in a big transformation period in, um, in you know, in a fast-growing city. So, uh, so for me, never a better time to have this opportunity to be in this role. Yes, what it's, a great time uh, with all this time. investment. Indeed. Uh, I'm telling you, you're, uh, I know you know it, but across the world, not everyone realizes the importance of investment in rail. Oh. Uh, we just had budgets released in America as we're, report- as we're recording this today that were released yesterday from the federal, from the executive branch in America, and there was major cuts to investment. So let's end up with that question to you. What is the role, as you, kind of the macro role, in a society, in a, in a livable city like Melbourne? You're the CEO of Metro Trains Melbourne. What do you see as the role of public transit in culture and in society as a whole going forward? Well, I mean, we're, we kind of, we link it back to what our purpose is. So again, you know, we're very clear. Our purpose here is, is to keep Melbourne on the move. And that's our role. You know, people rely on us in this city to get them to work, to get them to school, to get them to, you know, where they need to get to at the weekends, to, you know, the footy games. We're, we're kind of very much the heartbeat of the city. And uh, that's what I see as our, our role here is as this city grows and it's a fast growing city, we need, to, we need to continue to improve our delivery of services and keep pace and keep ahead of the demands that are going to be placed on it. Um, so that's that's our purpose is um, you know look after the needs of this growing city, get people to where they they want to go safely, reliably, and give them a really good experience. The mission of this organisation is to be the most respected and the best railway in Australia. Um, so you know when you talk to you know Howard and Sydney, and, yes, uh, yeah. you know tell them watch out because in Melbourne <laughs> we we want to be we want to be the most respected best railway. In Australia, we're determined to do that in the next few years. That's wonderful. Well, I think you're well on your way. Having been out in the city for a couple of days myself, the uh, the rail system seems to be fully integrated into what's happening in the city. It is the heartbeat of the city. I think you're right. Raymond O'Flaherty, CEO of MTM, thanks so much for being our guest today on our Australian edition of Transit Unplugged. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. It's been great talking to you. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.